I invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that, your Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Getting old, man, <laughs> tell you what, um, as much as Thomas would like to think that this is a result of playing basketball against him, I'd have you know when we played at the men's retreat, we had to stop because he ran out of breath. <laughs> so this injury is from trying to keep up with seventh and eighth graders. So um, yeah, I, uh, I turned 44 a couple weeks ago. And I don't want to admit that I'm 44. I still want to play basketball like I am in my late teens, early 20s. Uh, and so I, I've, I've crossed into that, that stage where, you know, you, when you get older, there's this, this reality where your body doesn't do what it used to be able to do. And you're like, man, I'm trying to do this stuff, but it just won't do it. And so I, I've passed through that to now where it not only won't do it, but if I try to do it, I'll hurt myself. So... Here we are. Um, and the, the, the bad thing was, is I wasn't even being crazy. I wasn't doing anything, trying to be fancy. I just the strain of playing basketball in a scrimmage. And I hopefully this is just a severe calf strain. So pray that it is not anything ruptured in the Achilles, but um, we'll see. Also pray for us because Mindy and I are flying to Portland, Vancouver, Washington tomorrow to assess church planters next week. So uh, traveling and kind of doing all the things we have to do next week, uh, hobbling around. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But uh, if you could be, be in prayer for us for that and pray that uh, I heal uh, rather quickly. Also, uh, having to sit while preaching, a part of my soul is dying a little bit. Um, I, <laughs> I, I like to be up. I like to be um, move, moving around a bit while I'm preaching, as you guys know. Uh, but, but here we are, and I trust that uh, God's word will still go forth with power and clarity. I did, though, this, this uh, weekend, uh, I happened to find this tweet on, on social media that I thought was, do we, do we have the tweet? We, we don't have the tweet in my, in my, uh, my slides. Okay, anyway, it was, a, it was a tweet that asked the question, is there a correlation between uh, pastors sitting and preaching from a stool and a table and false teaching. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> well, if you have not opened your Bibles, please do so to Exodus 20. We are going to be focusing in on verse 14 as we continue our series in the Ten Commandments. And the title of my message this morning is, Let's Talk About Sex. Well, I remember when I first found out where babies come from. 
I was, I, I don't quite remember if it was second or third grade, but I very distinctly remember the conversation with one of my classmates because I remember not believing him. I was like, there's no way mommy and daddies do that. I, I didn't have a better theory. I didn't have a better idea, but I was just like, there's no way that can be where babies come from. And that's probably the reason my mom was waiting to hold off to tell me because she probably knew I wouldn't believe her. Obviously, I, I had an issue with the thought of babies coming from mommies and daddies having sex. Side note, parents, you should have that conversation before your kids have the conversation with their friends or they hear it from their pastor at church. <laughs> but there's a sense in which we struggle to talk about sex because it can feel awkward, even shocking in some ways. Even in a permissive society like ours, the conversation around sex can be difficult. It's a deeply personal and vulnerable topic. It can conjure up a lot of pain and guilt and shame. It's also one of the most morally controversial topics in our culture. You want to get canceled like immediately, call out sexual sin based on biblical teaching. But we need to talk about sex. And sadly, in our over-sexualized culture, Christians do not talk about it enough. The Bible talks about sex quite a bit. I mean, it made it into the top 10 list. And so we need to talk about sex because, for one, we cannot let the culture set the terms of the conversation or the terms of our sexual practice. If we do not talk about sex, then the thing that will most shape our hearts and our minds when it comes to sex will be the culture. The thing that shapes your kids' hearts and minds about sex will be the culture if you do not talk to them about it. And listen, you may not intend for that to happen, but it will. Something or someone is discipling your kids. Something and someone is shaping you. Is it scripture or is it the culture? If we don't fill our hearts with God's word and God's truth, something's going to fill the vacuum. And we're already seeing that play out in our society. The, the Pew Research Center found that 50% of American Christians, and under that 36% of evangelicals, believe that casual sex between consenting adults is always or sometimes acceptable. The same poll found that 57% of American Christians overall, and 46% of evangelicals, so nearly half of evangelicals, believe sex between committed but unmarried adults is always or sometimes acceptable. Here's what those stats show us. The majority of those who call on the name of Jesus, who claim faith in Christ, are being more shaped by the culture than they are God's word. So we need to talk about sex. We also need to talk about sex because sex is a profoundly powerful and beautiful thing. Listen, a healthy view of sex and a healthy practice of sex is absolutely vital to our flourishing as human beings and as followers of Jesus. The distorted views and the false promises of the world have wrecked and ruined so many lives. And so we cannot sit back while, these, while lives are wrecked and ruined. What the Bible teaches about sex is far more beautiful, far more profound, far more powerful than anything this world holds out for us. Healthy, good sexual practice, it brings about great flourishing for us in our relationships and for society. So we need to talk about sex. So let's talk about sex this morning. And here's the core truth that the seventh commandment leads us to. 
Sexual faithfulness is God's design to create life and bring relational flourishing. So let's unpack this truth this morning. Now, the seventh commandment comes to us in the form of a negative. Do not commit adultery. So it comes to us in a negative. It is also very specific. It's directly addressing marital faithfulness. Husband and wife bound together in the covenant of marriage are not to have sexual relationship outside that covenant, outside that relationship. And so it is true that the seventh commandment does not directly address other sexual sins, such as sex before marriage or casual hookups or even homosexuality. However, however, to justify those sexual sins by saying, well, the, tenth, the, the seventh commandment doesn't specifically address them, is to read the Bible woodenly and in, in a disjointed way at best and foolishly at worst. So the point I want to make here is don't let the specificity of the seventh commandment fool you or don't let other people use the specificity of the seventh commandment to twist God's word. The seventh commandment it's but the tip of an iceberg. Underneath, all, underneath the negative commandment, there is actually this incredible positive, this powerfully beautiful positive view of sex that the seventh commandment is intended to protect. And to see that vision, we once again, as we have done almost every week in this study, we need to go back to the book of Genesis. So in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, you don't need to turn there, but we read that God created humanity, male and female in his image, we are the crown of creation, made in his image. And God has given us a mission. We're, we're meant to rule and govern and steward the world God has given us. So there's a sense in which we image God in our stewardship and our rule over creation. But that's not the only part of our mission. In Genesis 1.28, just after, just after God speaks of creating male and female in his image, he says this, or God's word says this, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. When a tree is fruitful, what, is it, what does that mean? It means it brings forth the fruits it's intended to create. And producing fruit is part of what process, science teachers? Reproduction. Trees produce fruits and flowers as a part of the reproduction. They carry the seeds so that that tree can reproduce itself. So God gives us a mission as people, a purpose, reproduce, reproduce the species. Adam and Eve were not to be the only humans. The human population was meant to grow and to continue to grow. It wasn't meant to hit a certain number of people, then stop. No, this was supposed to be a perpetual multiplying down throughout the ages. We are meant to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We are, as image bearers of God, we carry the glory of God. We're meant to reproduce and fill the earth. And as the image bearers of God, we are to follow God's instruction to be fruitful and multiply. And how do we do that? To my third grade mind's horror, through sex. We reproduce through the sexual acts between a man and a woman, more specifically through sex between a man and woman in covenantal marriage. And so sex has been given a beautiful power, a profound power, to bring forth life. 
This is a, this is a stop and think about it. We're so used to this in some ways because it's such a normal and natural and good part of life. But stop and just think about this for a moment. That those of us that have been made in the image of God, God has given us a God-like, small g, power to reproduce life. God, the author of life, has handed us a means by which we create life. What an incredible power he has given us. What an incredible purpose he has given us to reproduce, to bring forth life in the act of sex. This gives sex an incredible responsibility. You hold the power of life in your hands in the sexual act. We bring forth new life, new image bearers, those that are made in the image of God. We bring them forth through the act of sex, and then we are responsible to care and to love and to nurture that life, our sons and daughters. What an incredible responsibility we have been given, and sex is connected to that. We cannot separate this responsibility from the purpose and the power of sex. This is why sex is given to married couples, for, for it is in the context of a committed marriage that children are best raised. It's in the context of a committed marriage that life is best nurtured. And so the fact that sex has a procreative purpose, it's God's design to bring forth life, to create life through the act of sex, and then that life be nurtured. It is to be set within the context God has designed for that nurture. Marriage. Sexual faithfulness is God's design to create life. And in creating life, we nurture that life. So sex has been given a creative power and purpose, but that's not the only thing that it is. In Genesis 2... We read how when God creates Eve and brings her to Adam as Adam's bride, this is what we read about the nature in verse 24. This is the nature, what we read about the nature of the bond between husband and wife. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. See, the act of marriage is a bond. It's a bond of unity. The deepest bond of unity that a human being can experience with another It is so deep, the Bible says that husband and wife become one flesh. And that term one flesh refers to the sex act and the deep unity that the the act of sex represents and creates. And so something powerful and profound is, is happening in the act of sex. It's a physical union to be sure. It's a physical oneness to be sure, but it's also an emotional and relational and spiritual union as well. Sex pictures just how deep the covenant of marriage goes, just how committed that relationship is intended to be and is. In sex, husband and wife are so united that it is as if they are one body and one soul. In sex, husband and wife give and receive in the deepest of ways. So in sex, we are laid bare physically and emotionally and spiritually. In sex, we say, I give all of myself to you. I'm hiding nothing. I'm holding nothing back. My body, my soul, my very being, it's yours now for your good, for your joy, for your flourishing. Nothing hiding here. I'm giving my all to you. Also in sex, we say, I receive all that you are. I reject nothing. You can show your whole true self to me because I reject nothing. I receive your love. I receive all that you are, body and soul, and I will cherish what you give me. And so sex is an all-in act. 
It's not a half-hearted commitment. It's an all-in act, body and soul, an act that symbolizes and strengthens the deepest of commitments. This is why in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul highlights that this one flesh union, while it is speaking of marriage between husband and wife, ultimately speaks of the relationship between Christ and his church. Now let's be clear. That does not mean that our relationship with God is sexual. That is a human phenomenon. But what it does mean is that the intimacy that we have as husband and wife that is symbolized and is practiced in the act of sex is so deep and so profound because it is intended to point to how deep and profound and unified Christ is with his church. Listen, between the procreative act that shows how we are to image God and the unity we are to have with our spouse, sex ultimately points us to God in the gospel. It is shot through with meaning, spiritual meaning, spiritual significance, God-centered, Christ-centered significance. It isn't just something we do for fun. It has profound purpose, powerful purpose. And so this is why God designed it only for the covenant of marriage. To engage in sex outside of marriage, it's essentially lying. What do I mean by that? Sex outside of marriage is doing something with your body that is intended to express the deepest physical and spiritual intimacy and commitment but that commitment's not there, not in actuality. No matter how committed a couple may say they are, if they are not married, they have not raised the relationship to the level that's worthy of the sexual act. Sex is that powerful, that purposeful, that sacred to be cherished that much that we guard it, that we guard it only to be practiced within the confines of the most committed of relationships. If you have not committed yourself in marriage, if you do not have a husband or a wife, no matter how deeply committed you are to that other person, you are not committed enough. You are not committed enough. You have not shown the level of commitment that sex is worthy of. In marriage, sex is a power intended to bring about the greatest of flourishing. Listen, a healthy sex life isn't the only thing that gives life to your marriage but it certainly gives life to your marriage. Like when there is a healthy sex life, there's going to be joy and friendship in your marriage. When there's a healthy sex life, and by healthy I don't mean, it is not necessarily talking about frequency, I'm just talking about healthy, there is going to be sacrifice and service. When there's a healthy sex life, there's going to be love and affection. When there's a healthy sex life, it spills over into other aspects of your relationship where there is healthy giving and receiving in sex, there's going to be healthy giving and receiving in other areas of your marriage. And when there is life and flourishing in your marriage, guess what else flourishes? Your parenting. Guess what else is going to flourish? Your children are going to flourish. Guess what else happens when you are sexually faithful and sexually healthy? Your relationships with other people are going to be more healthy. Because the weirdness of sexual dysfunction is not going to play out in other relationships. You can treat brothers and sisters in Christ as brothers and sisters and friends and it not get weird. And so there is a holistic flourishing, relational flourishing that happens when we practice sexual faithfulness. And it starts in our marriages. Sexual faithfulness is God's design to bring life, but also to bring relational 
flourishing. And this is why, friends, this is why. The seventh commandment, it wasn't plucked out of thin air. It was given on purpose. It was given to protect this beautiful and profound vision of sex. It is given because God has designed sex with great power and purpose. The good that sex brings is so precious and so important to our flourishing And then conversely, the damage sexual immorality does is so, so devastating. I mean, you think about just how destructive sexual sin is. Whether it be sexual abuse, or adultery, or pornography, or sex outside of marriage, all of these things and more do tremendous physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual damage. Why? Because sex is that powerful. And so in this way, sex is like water and nuclear energy. What do water, nuclear energy, and sex all have in common? Well, they are all things with immense power that when kept within the proper structure bring about great beauty and accomplish great things, but if they break out of that structure, create devastation and destruction. Water properly channeled, it creates beauty and can be used for great things and you can greatly enjoy it. But when a river overflows its banks, destruction. Nuclear energy can power cities. But when it is not contained, can create unfathomable destruction, and the fallout can last centuries. And so it is with sex. God has given sex great power. And when used as he designed, it brings life. It brings flourishing. It transforms things. But when we violate the seventh commandment, we bring utter damage and destruction to ourselves and others. And why is violating the seventh commandment so damaging? Well, it takes us back to what we saw before. Because sexual sin touches us in the deepest, most intimate, physical, and spiritual ways. And so if you want to damage and corrupt people, then you damage them sexually or you get them to damage themselves sexually. As Jay Stringer in his book Unwanted writes, the evil one, Satan, wants to destroy the glory of God, but he cannot. Therefore, he goes after what most images this God, women, men, boys, and girls. In the same way that a terrorist might attack children of a president because a direct attack is too risky, the evil one seeks to mar the distinctive beauty that God gives to us as his children. If you were to set out to attack the image of God, you would need to do more than ridicule how worthless a human pinky toe appears. Instead, you would plot after the most vulnerable, beautiful, and powerful dimension of who we are, sexuality. Evil hates the beauty of sex. And because it cannot abolish its existence, it works to corrupt its essence. We have an enemy that hates us, hates that you are made in the image of God, and wants to wreck and ruin that image and mar it by coming after you in the deepest, most intimate places of you, body and soul, your sexuality. And here's what's sad. Here's what's tragic. Here's what we need to be honest about. We've listened to his lies. We've listened to his lies. We have followed the lie of the enemy and detach sex from its power and its purpose that God has designed it. We've made it something selfish. 
Made it something about our own personal gain, our personal pleasure, our personal satisfaction, and it has wrecked and ruined so much. It has done so much damage to ourselves and other people. And listen, it's no accident that the command do not commit adultery comes right after the command to, not, to do not murder. Both of these have to do with doing violence to the image of God. One seeks to utterly destroy and kill. One seeks to wreck and ruin the image of God. Both are connected to this. Both speak to who we are and touches who we are in the most deep places, but also speaks to how beautifully we've been created and how much value and worth and how much God has given us as those made in the image of God. But we have chosen to reject God's purpose for sex. We've chosen our own path of selfish pursuit, and this plays out in so many different ways. Let me give you one significant example. For the past 100 years or so, our culture has been hell-bent on separating sex from procreation. So whether through abortion, the most extreme way, or through various methods of birth control, and and let me be clear, I'm not categorically stating that I am against birth control, but we need to be honest about the, the origins of birth control. It was meant to separate sex from procreation. Based on these things over the past 100 years, we have separated this. We have jettisoned sex from procreation. We, we will take the pleasure, but we don't want the responsibility. We're, we're good with procreation on our terms when it suits us, but if it ever should violate my freedom and my autonomy, no way. We can't let that happen. I read an article over the weekend that was arguing for abortion rights and it, it was making the argument, no woman should ever have to have a forced pregnancy. And in one sense, I'm like, sure, yeah. But what they were talking about was just the normal, natural effect of having sex. So what kind of culture sees getting pregnant because you had sex with someone else as forced pregnancy? It's one that is so detached sex from the purpose of procreation that a natural, beautiful, powerful, profound purpose is seen as prison. That's how far we have sunk as a culture, that we should never have to take on the responsibility of sex because it's it's at odds with our freedom. Is it no wonder that our culture has no problem with sex outside of marriage? If sex is no longer tied to procreation, then we need not worry about being it for a man and woman in a committed marriage wherein children are raised. Is it no wonder our culture, even even some Christians now, see homosexuality as legitimate instead of a sin? Listen, if sex isn't about procreation, if that is not tied to its essence and purpose, then the logic of homosexuality is no longer a problem. The fact that you can't procreate that way, it's no longer a problem. And so bit by bit by bit by bit, our culture has stripped sex from its inherent purpose of procreation. And what has that done? It's caused us to become more selfish and self-centered with it. And so listen, yes, sex is and should be pleasurable. It should be. For a husband and wife, it should be pleasurable, where you benefit personally. But sex is inherently, by God-ordered design and it has, it's an act with a view towards creating life, towards a greater responsibility than just ourselves. It is the embracing, whether purposefully or possibly, the mission of procreation and parenthood, of bringing forth new life to nurture, and this cannot be separated 
from the purpose of sex. Here's another example. Here's another problem in the way the culture, our culture twists sex. It reduces the boundary to mere consent. To mere consent. If you agree and I agree, we're good. Consent should absolutely be part of the equation, but it cannot be the whole. That's like protecting America's nuclear codes with ticker tape. Far too small a boundary, far too weak a boundary to keep from destruction happening and damage happening. Only in the safeguards of covenantal commitment is the power of sex properly practiced. It's only when there is the highest commitment, not consent, but commitment, that sex can be unleashed in a beautiful way. The power of sex can come forth in a beautiful way, a God-glorifying way. And so what we need to recognize is consent is not high enough. It does not properly honor what sex is intended to be. It's a low view of sex. And also understand this, consent is not going to protect you from the deep emotional, mental, relational, spiritual, and even physical toll that sexual sin will take. Just because you consented to it doesn't mean it's going to save you from the damage that it's going to do to you. And we have millions of people walking around in our world, in our culture, in our world, that are testimonies to that. There's some of you that know that from your lived-in experience, that that consent saved you from nothing, protected you from nothing. Sex is meant to lead to deep connection, deep connection. But when the commitment that it fosters, that connection, isn't there, we are scarred. We're scarred. This is the same with pornography. We are deeply scarred by the use of pornography because we've removed sex from commitment, the commitment that it was intended to foster. And so we're left with a hole in our souls. And so whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we want to be honest about it or not, sexual sin scars us. It damages our humanity because it goes against our design. And here's one of the ironies of sexual sin. We so often seek to cover the scars with the very thing that caused them. Listen, we, we can choose sexual sin because we're chasing pleasure, because we're chasing selfishness, like there's just this, we can, there's going to be an arrogance about it, a, a callousness about it. We want to feel good and we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. There, there's a reality to that that can play out. But it goes deeper. So often it goes far deeper. That, that pursuit of pleasure that we're so hell-bent on achieving, often that is just a cover for something else. It's, offer, it's, it's a cover that we're numbing pain or we're, we're trying to fill a void. We're trying to seek commitment and relationship, a sense of belonging, a sense of actually known and being known. There's, there's something our soul wants because it was designed to have, but we chase after it in a sinful way and then we're scarred and it doesn't happen. And so we go after it more and more. So we deepen the wounds over and over and over again. Listen, sex was designed for pleasure. Sex was designed for commitment and relationships so that you would experience deep intimacy with somebody else. Like all those things that we chase, it's designed for that. But when it is outside the covenant of marriage, all it does is scar us. It doesn't build the commitment it was intended to make. But in our sin and in our rebellion, we only make the problem worse. The power intended for our flourishing turns against us and wrecks and ruin us, ruins us even more 
Oh, this is what happens when we listen to the lie of the enemy. Now, you may think, hey, I'm not having sex outside marriage, and I'm not looking at pornography. Good. Amen. But how's your heart? How's your imaginings? What's going on internally? Maybe your actions haven't fully manifested themselves in a particular way, but what's going on internally? Because Jesus calls us to something different, deeper than just our actions. We're not let off the hook just because we're not cheating on our spouse. In Matthew 5, 27 and 28, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her, with her in his heart. So we can break the seventh commandments and never touch another man or another woman. When we allow our hearts to go after someone else that isn't our spouse, when we long for a sexual connection or to use that person, even in our minds, for sexual gratification, to use them selfishly, we are committing adultery. We are breaking the seventh commandment. We are violating the power and the purpose of sex. And so I can ask the question, are you being faithful to your spouse? And you can say, yes, I've never, never touched anyone else, but are you being faithful here? Are you being faithful here? When it comes to the sexual act, when it comes to sexual desire, is it centered on your spouse? Is it for the purpose of cultivating commitment and deeper relationship with your spouse? Is it about honoring, glorifying God with the gift that he has given you so that you, Lord willing, could bring forth life and nourish and cherish that life and you could deepen your intimacy and relationship and the bond of unity so that you and others may flourish? Is that what your end in sex is about? Is that what it is for? Is that what you are using it for? If we're honest, if we're honest, we've all broken the seventh commandment in one way or another. We need to be honest because in our honesty, that's the only way that we will step forward into repentance and experience the power of the gospel in our lives. And so I want, I want you to just take a moment right where you are. I want, I want you just to let the guard down. Be honest. Be real. How have you broken the seventh commandment? In what ways? Maybe you're not married but you're not cultivating sexual purity. How have you broken the seventh commandment? What does your sexual life, what is your sexual appetite, what does your sexual desire look like? And as you are honest, being honest about the brokenness, here's what I want to lead you to. Here's what I want to hold out for you. The hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ because for sexually broken people like you and me, there is tremendous hope. There's tremendous hope in the power of Jesus Christ. You know that in Scripture, this is another way we see the depth of commitment that is meant to be between a husband and a wife. That God uses the language of adultery when he speaks about his people not being faithful to him. You have committed adultery against me. You have broken the covenant. You've broken that commitment. There is this deep, deep wounding that happens. There's this deep, deep sense of betrayal and betraying that happens. But here's the good news of the gospel. When we were adulterers to God, when we were breaking God's law, when we were going against the covenant, we were, when we were sinning, 
God in his faithfulness, who always is faithful to the covenant, sent Jesus for us. When we were sexually broken people, Jesus came to this world and he loved us and he kept God's law. He walked perfectly for us. And then he went up on that cross willingly to die for us, to take the punishment that our sexual sin deserved for the ways that we have sinned against God and sinned against other people. Jesus took that guilt. He took that shame, that uncleanliness on himself. And in that, all who put their trust in Christ can be forgiven of sin's guilt and washed clean from the shame. It does not matter the sexual sin that you have committed It does not matter the shame and and the, the filthiness you may feel because you have been sinned against sexually. Those things can be washed clean because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done. His death, his resurrection gives us hope, sets us free, makes us new. The Bible celebrates the cleansing power, the renewing power of Christ, and that is the hope that we have if we will turn from our sin and put our trust in Christ New life, new life. And yes, in this life, we will carry scars. And and, and depending on how deep those scars go, it may take us and our entire life to grow in healing. But if you are in Christ, you will always have hope. You will always have that power. You can grow in that healing. You can grow in walking in godliness because of Jesus. And so, wherever you may have been or maybe wherever you are right now, Understand that there is hope for you in the gospel. Don't let sin, don't let the lie of the enemy keep you enslaved. But walk in freedom. And I know there are are those in this room that have the testimony of outright adultery in their lives. There are those who have committed the sin and those who have felt the pain of the sin. And there are those in this room that can testify to the power of the gospel. They can tell you, Jesus does restore and is restoring. Jesus does wash clean and is washing clean. There are testimonies here of the power of the gospel. And so if you feel weighed down by your guilt, weighed down by your sin, it just feels like all you can just sense is, I am unclean, I am dirty sexually. Don't hide in the dark. Don't leave that in the dark. Bring that into the light because there are brothers and sisters who want to love you and surround you with truth surround you and speak gospel to you and love you and help you walk in godliness. And so the first thing that we need to do, if we're going to walk forward, we're going to keep the seventh commandment, is we need to rely on the power of the gospel. We need to confess and own what we need to own, but then also experience the forgiveness that God gives. And then from there, I want to just give an encouragement to married couples here. Listen, married couples, have sex. Have sex often. Have sex to the glory of God. Have sex in a way that honors and upholds God's power and purpose. And so it might be here that you are having sex often, but that sex is not healthy. It is not for the purpose which with God intended it. You may be using your spouse to gratify your desires rather than sex being something that is self-giving and receiving, about deepening bonds and unity, about deepening your relationship And so listen, yes, have sex, have a healthy sex life, cultivate that. But if you need to repent of using your spouse, repent of that. Turn from that. Let sex be about what it is intended to be. Let it be about the flourishing of your marriage, not selfishness in marriage. 
And so what this means is, hey, if, if, if there is this brokenness, sexual brokenness in you that you're trying to use your spouse to heal, that won't happen. It won't happen. Only Jesus can heal that. And so you need to run to Jesus with that brokenness so that you can experience healing and health in your marriage. And so again, if that's where you are, reach out. Don't do that in the dark. Ask brothers and sisters to come along. Ask pastors who would love to walk with you and care for you in that. We want to see husbands and wives have a thriving, healthy sexual marriage where sex is good, it is celebrated, and it produces thriving in your life, your kid's life, and the life of the church. And here's another piece, if I can, if I can press on something I mentioned earlier. And this, this may feel a little bit counterintuitive because it, it shows in some ways in which we've, we've adopted some aspect of the culture's mindset. Part of not using each other sexually, part of not sharing the culture's mindset, is being careful not to separate sex from procreation. And so I'm not saying every time you have sex, it isn't you don't, it doesn't have to be explicitly for the purpose of procreation, but that, procre- that purpose should be in view. It should not be completely removed from the equation. If you are not purposely trying to have a baby, there at least should be a recognition that it could happen, and if it does, you're going to embrace the responsibility that sex inherently carries with it. Too readily, too quickly, because it is so easy to do, The church has embraced the mindset of the culture that we can just slide procreation out of the equation ever so easily. I mean, how many Christian-based sex books focus on pleasure in the sex act, but they say little to nothing about the powerful and profound purpose of creating life and raising a family? I mean, check it out. I could be wrong. Take me up on that. We have bought the culture's definition in some ways. And the more and more we adopt that mindset. We move sex away from the creative act. The more and more we are susceptible to making sex about us and becoming selfish and self-centered about it. The more we make it about our wants and desires and not looking at it through the powerful and profound purpose that God has given it. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying there aren't wise and necessary reasons to prevent pregnancy. Sometimes there are health reasons there, so I'm I'm not saying that there aren't those reasons. But church, let's not uncritically adopt the logic of our world. When we make those decisions, let it be wisely, thoughtfully, prayerfully. Don't let it be because we're escaping the responsibility and only chasing after pleasure. Sexual faithfulness is God's design to create life, and bring relational flourishing. And let's lean into that even when we have to make certain decisions. Let's not have a less than biblical view of sex. If you're in the room and you're married, or not married, here's what I want to tell you. One, your sexuality is not something you need to be afraid of. It's something that God has given you. It is for your good. But it is intended to be used within the confines of a committed relationship. And so until that day comes... Be sure to steward your sexuality. Be sure to form your sexuality in healthy ways. Don't give your mind and your heart and your imagination over to things that are going to cause you to be selfish and self-centered about it. Whether that's pornography or whether that's the way you treat the opposite sex, whatever it is that you are doing, when it comes to cultivating your sexuality, let it be because you see the purpose 
and you see how God has designed it, and you want to be careful, you want to be thoughtful, you want to protect the beauty of sex so that when, Lord willing, you are able to practice it, you enter into marriage in wholeness and health, where you can celebrate with your spouse and grow together and thrive together with a healthy sexual relationship. And so let's cultivate, let's cultivate healthy sexuality, healthy imagination, healthy hearts, healthy treatment of one another. And so church, we need to talk about sex. So parents, talk to your kids about sex. Show them the beautiful purpose and design God has given it, the power he has given it. Help them walk and cultivate their hearts and their lives so as they grow older and older, they will desire to honor the Lord and honor their future spouse and how they use their sexuality. Let's talk about sex because there are marriages here that are hurting because of broken, sexuality, broken sexual practice. And they need the power of the gospel. They need their brothers and sisters to walk alongside them. So let's talk about sex for the sake of the health of our brothers and sisters. And let's talk about sex because our world is wrecking and ruining itself with sexual immorality. Let's talk about sex and hold out a better view of what God has designed it to be, a beautiful view, a powerful view. Let's call people to repentance and the power of the gospel and sexual healing through Jesus Christ. And then when they come here, let them see what healthy sexuality and healthy sexual practice looks like. Let them see the flourishing that it brings, the joy that it brings, the good that it brings, so they might experience the power of the gospel themselves. And so church, rather than being afraid of sex, let's talk about it. Amen? Let's pray.